This morning, would you turn your Bibles to the New Testament book of 1 John? We're going to be in chapter 2 in 1 John today. Chapter 2, we'll start in verse 18 and we'll go to verse 29 today. The sermon notes are at novachurch.org or on your Nova Community Church app. And we are in a series on the New Testament book of 1 John. And the series is entitled, Discerning the Truth from the Lies. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about this. How do you spot, think about this, how do you spot a phony? How do you tell if something is authentic or fake? You know, we live in a world of scams, it seems, and scammers. Every other phone call, I don't know about you, but every other phone call that I get, it's marked on my phone, telemarketer. I'm not going to want to answer, do I want to answer that? Or, or um, telemarketer or spam, it's marked. And it's coming from somewhere in the United States, it says on my phone. There are liars and hackers on social media, identification theft and, and fraud alerts on credit cards and bank accounts. You know, I, I've been married 36 years, and I, and I think to myself, those of you who are unmarried and dating, and I'm thinking, oh man, the online dating and the apps online or the dating apps, and I, I just want to say to you, maybe I'll say to you on the plaza, just be careful. I mean, I, I think about that. You meet someone online, you meet them in a dating app, and be careful with that. The first time you meet them in, in real life, I mean, you know, not in real life, but, you know, a face-to-face, after you've had many virtual conversations, how do you tell How can you tell if someone is trying to cover up the truth? You know, in our current culture, we know things aren't always as they appear. And we're going to talk about the truth and liars today. Who's for real and who's just pretending to know God? Let's begin by just simply walking through this passage. And so, We'll start by taking a tour. We'll, we'll be in 1 John chapter 2. We'll start in verse 18, and I'll, I'll read some, and then we'll, I'll make some observations, and then we'll wrap this up at the end. So take a look at verse 18. John, he starts with these words, Dear children, this is the last hour. Now what was John thinking when he said these are the the last days. This is the last hour. Well, when Jesus died on the cross and he rose again from the dead, a new era was ushered in. And it's the era that we're in right now. And when John writes, this is the last hour, I'm not sure if he was actually thinking 2,000 years plus we would still be in that that era. Um, And when Jesus returns, though, A new era will begin with all eternity. So he says, dear children, this is the last hour. And and then he says, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming. 
Now, what do you think when you, when you hear the word antichrist? Now, sometimes if you've read books or watched movies, it's this powerful, scary person, right, that claims to be God, leads people astray, and at the very end is overthrown. We'll talk more about that in a second. Continue in verse 18, it says, Even now many antichrists have come, and this is how we know it is the last hour. And John says, you know, you've heard that the antichrist is coming. Even now many antichrists have come. Now anti, it simply means against, and so the against Jesus people. Many people were against Jesus 2,000 years ago, and many antichrists against Jesus people are here today. Remember, we talked in the first part of our series when we began our series that at the time John wrote this letter, there was a group of people that left the church because they claimed that they had some sort of deeper teaching, some more informed teaching that was beyond what the people in the church were being taught, and so they left and took some people with them. Verse 19, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. Now, this is a key verse, I think. The reason we know that they were fake, John is saying, is because they didn't stay to the end. If you have your Bibles and you're treating it like a textbook, you're taking notes in there, underline that phrase in that verse, their going showed that none of them belonged to us. It's interesting. We'll talk about that in just a second. Verse 20. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it, and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It's a good question. Who is the liar? He's not asking who is a liar. He's not asking who is a liar. John's emphasis here in the original language is this. Who is the ultimate spiritual liar? Who is the ultimate spiritual liar? Well, the ultimate spiritual liar is, and John answers it here in verse 22, the ultimate spiritual liar is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Now, Jesus is the Christ. And just to be clear here, the word Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? Just to be clear, it means Messiah means deliverer. The Old Testament meaning is God among us. The truth of Christianity is Jesus is God. So we have some idea of how we can tell truth, truth from lies now. The truth of Christianity is that Jesus is fully God. Now Jesus alone is capable of dying for our sins and resurrected to set us free and then he has ascended to heaven. And when we believe this by faith, we are adopted into the family of God, 
and he puts his spirit within us to change us from the inside out. And anyone who denies this is carrying out the work of the one who is against Jesus. This is a strong statement that, that John is making here. In our world that we live in right now, in our culture of watered-down truth, in accepting and loving everyone in the name of political correctness, this strong statement, it, it's not that popular. And what this means for us, it doesn't mean that we should sequester ourselves away from this bad, bad world. It doesn't mean that we, could, we should shrink back from those who don't believe the same that we do. This is a warning between truth and lies here. But what this means to the one who believes is we are called to a greater love and a greater sacrifice. We are called to be disciple makers. You are called to share this loving truth in the mission field that God has placed you in. And that mission field, if you don't know what it is, when you go back home today in your neighborhood, when you go into your condo complex or your apartment building, that's your, that's your mission field. Your workplace that you spend so many waking hours in or that classroom that you spend so many waking hours in, I hope you're awake in your classroom. That's your mission field. Your friend group, your CrossFit gym, your sports team, that's your mission field. Your art, music, or dance studio, that is also your mission field where you live out the truth of who Jesus is in your life. And given the opportunity, you might be able to speak about it too. Verse 24, as for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does, you also will remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. John is saying, this is why I'm writing this section of the scriptures for you. This is the very reason right here in verse 24, 25, and 26. And in verse 27, it says, As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you, but as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. And now, dear children, continue in him so that when he appears, we may be confident and unashamed before him at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who does what is right has been born of him. That's our text today from the word of God. Now that we've read today's text, a good question to ask is, how does all of this fit together? How, do, how does it fit together? So in your notes... There's two or three points right there, so I think it's important that you pull up your notes at novachurch.org or on your Nova Community Church app. The first point, first statement that we can make here is this. Don't be deceived, but know the truth. Don't be, don't be deceived, but know what the truth is. 
What are the simple signs of a modern-day spiritual deceiver? That's, that's a good question because that's what John is writing about as we read his word here. The simple signs of a deceiver are the same today as they were back then. Now, there's three things to be aware of if you're thinking of how do I spot a spiritual deceiver out there. Three, three things that you could think of, and, and as I talk about them, I think in your mind you're going to be thinking, oh yeah, that, that's right. So the, the first one is this, beware when there is an overbearing spiritual guru, okay? Beware if there's an overbearing spiritual guru. Someone will be saying, you know, I've got some special spiritual teaching that you haven't heard before. When you start to hear those things, your antenna or whatever should be thinking, uh-oh, this is, this is something. Or you, someone might say, you're going to get special discernment or directions from me only. Okay? It seems pretty simple, but, but be aware. Now, there are modern-day examples of spiritual gurus who claim to have special insight and have written special books and translations of the Bible that don't jive with the mainstream scholarly biblical translations that we have today. And I encourage you to take what you even learn from me, take what you learn from me and others who teach here at Nova and search the scriptures yourself in case we start to lead astray. So beware when there is an overbearing spiritual guru. Second is this. Beware when there is special and extra-biblical spiritual teaching. Stick with what you've heard from the beginning is what John says. Be careful when someone says, you know, that was basic, but let me give you a deeper truth that will really enlighten you. Beware of that. There is a popular church. There's, you can see the buildings around. They've got big buildings and a lot of nice people that attend. In that, in those folks, they have some interesting teaching that is a little bit, maybe a lot, off track. One of their things that they say is God was just a man. And he eternally progressed to the point where he got to have his own universe. And if you're a male, if you're a man, sorry ladies, if you're a male and part of a special priesthood, you too can eternally progress and get your own universe. And you laugh, and I don't read that in the Bible, but there are millions of people that are part of that group. Beware when there's a special spiritual guru, an overbearing one, and an extra-biblical spiritual teaching, and beware of a different Jesus. Beware when you hear about a different Jesus. John says this in verse 22 in chapter 2. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies a Father has... No one who denies a son has the father. Whoever acknowledges son has the father also. The Apostle Paul writes in Galatians in chapter 1, 
in verses 8 and 9. He actually repeats verse nine, uh, 8 in verse 9. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. In verse 9 he says, as we have already said, so now I'm going to say it again. If anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Three things you need to be aware of. The first thing is this, an overbearing spiritual guru. Second is special and extra biblical spiritual teaching. And the third is when you hear about a different Jesus. So how do we discern truth tellers from liars? How do we do that? And, and I can pick up two questions that John brings to us in our text today in chapter 2. The first way, first question is this. Do they stick it out or do they bail out? How do you tell between truth tellers and liars? Do they stick it out or do they bail out? Now to be clear, when we talk about do they stick it out or bail out, we are talking about a believer's relationship with Jesus. We're not talking about membership in a local church. And so when someone you see has been around for a while and then all of a sudden you don't see them anymore and, anymore, and they're going to another church, that's not the truth tellers from liars here. Verse 19, it says, They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belong to us. In other words, bailing out is a proof that they never had it in the first place. And it's the principle of perseverance that you read throughout the scriptures. Take a look at Hebrews chapter 10 in your notes or in your Bibles. In verse 35 in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. This principle of perseverance comes into play here. It says, you, will, you need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For in just a little while, he who is coming will, not, he who is coming will come and will not delay. And, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. Verse 39, but we... The, the authentic followers and disciples of Jesus, but we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Now this may sound harsh, and it, it is harsh, and it's unpopular in today's world. Some people, we think sometimes, on Easter, we make a big altar call and we ask people to raise their hand or look up or walk forward. And as soon as you see that in somebody, you're encouraged. You're, you're, you're super encouraged. Or maybe you're at summer camp and it's the last night or the second to the last night. And they build a big campfire and they play some slow worship music. And then some guy gets up there and says, everything that you've heard today, God is speaking to your heart. Come right down here and throw a pine cone in the fire. And that pine cone is the sins of your, you know, and it just kind of goes on. And people come down. And, it's a, and, and, and I've done that before. 
And, and as soon as we see that, we say, that person's a Christian, that's it. But the proof of their faith is perseverance. The first point we can make here in that, in that question is this. A good start doesn't guarantee that there will be a good ending. A good start doesn't guarantee that there's going to be a good ending. The scriptures warn us, don't throw away your confidence and don't shrink back. Instead, live by faith in Jesus. Listen, this, this earthly life, this earthly life can be disappointing and discouraging. It can be depressing. It's, it's hard and it's sometimes shocking and tragic and sometimes traumatic. That's what this earthly life is about. And, and I'm so glad this life is not all that there is. And those who put their faith in Jesus shall not perish, but have everlasting life. And this is why we, we read in 1 John these words that John writes. And this is why the writer of Hebrews exhorts us to live by faith. And this is why Jesus tells that parable of the soils, right? In, in Matthew chapter 13, he says a farmer went out to sow seed. And he was scattering the seed, and when the seed scattered, some of it fell along the path, and it didn't get a chance to germinate and take root, and the birds came and ate it up, and and that was it. But some of that seed fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil, and it sprang up quickly. It germinated, but because the soil was limited, when the sun came up, the plants were scorched because they didn't have much root. Another seed fell among the thorns, and they grew up, they germinated, but those thorns, they choked out those plants. And still other seed fell on the good soil, and it produced a crop, and it was fruitful. And whoever has ears to hear, listen to these words. And that's why Jesus told that parable. Today we are reminded that a good start doesn't guarantee a good ending. But there's a flip side to this. The flip side is this. The second point here is sometimes people will have detours and sometimes there will be departures. you got to think about detours and departures and, and what is the difference between them. I guess this is a warning to judgy people right here. Don't be too quick to judge someone if they seem to be bailing out on God. Because we don't always know what's going on in someone's life. We don't know the interior. We don't know their heart. God does. But we don't know. And there are people who seem to be bailing out on God. But it's only a detour. We're all traveling down this highway, this freeway, and, and someone, up. Oh, they take a, an exit, right? And, and, and we don't know. And they might be going all over the place. And we're still on that highway. And they're all over. And one day, they're going to make their way back and take that on-ramp again. And other people, we're traveling down this highway. We're walking with the Lord. And someone takes an exit. And they never make their way back. When you see someone taking a detour, don't be too quick to say, well, they went out from us because they really didn't belong to us. 
Don't be too quick to say that. Because you remember a guy in the scriptures, his name was Peter, right? And Peter says, Lord, I'll, I'll never deny you. But he denies him not once, not twice. The third time, he swears up a storm. He swears up a storm. I don't even know this guy. And people listening to him were thinking, yeah, you probably don't because all the guys who walked with Jesus didn't talk like that. But that same Peter denied Jesus three times and later he became the key leader in the first church planting movement of the early church. How do you discern truth tellers from liars? Well, do they stick it out or do they bail out? Second question here is this. Do they believe Jesus is who he says he is? That's how to tell truth tellers from liars. Verse 22 in chapter 2, John says, who is the liar? Who's the ultimate spiritual liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Now this is clearly a key point in the first letter of John. You see this over and over and over again. The liars are the ones who deny that Jesus is God in the flesh. Later, John writes in chapter 4, we're going to get to it in a few weeks, but let me just drop this on you. In, in verse 2 in chapter 4, John writes, This is how you can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming, and even now is already in the world. If God has penetrated our world by coming in the person of Jesus Christ, he's truly loved us and he wants to be in a relationship with us, which is mind-blowing. Our vision of God, our vision of God is anchored in what has happened objectively that we read in the scriptures our vision of God is anchored not just objectively, but it's, it's, it's anchored in, in history, in, in history books that, that talk about a man that died on a cross but then was resurrected three days later. It's not anchored. Our vision of God is not anchored in a subjective perception of who we think God is. In Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, it says, the sun is the radiance of God's glory. And then it says, in the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things through his powerful word. And after he has provided purification for sins on the cross, he sat down at the right hand of majesty. I, it's right there. That's it. Colossians chapter 2, it says, For in, the full, in, in Christ the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. What are you going to do with that? It's the truth. And if that's the truth, how are you living that out in your life? The doctrine of the incarnation, that is, Jesus' full union of God and humanity, makes the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross 
so powerful. Jesus, he represented all of our humanity on the cross by bearing the sins of humanity. And he represents us before the Father by bearing the transformed humanity before the Father through his resurrection. In John 14, 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but through me. And in 1 Timothy, Paul writes in the second chapter, in verse 5, For there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all people. And Paul writes again in Galatians chapter 2, the truth of the word of God. It says, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, if righteousness could be gained through good things that I do, if my entry into heaven counted on things that I did good, then Christ died for nothing. He, he didn't have to die. But it's not so. Jesus is the full union of God and humanity. And it makes his sacrifice on the cross so powerful. And Jesus represented humanity on the cross by bearing the sins of humanity. And he represents us before the Father by bearing our transformed humanity before the Father. It's through the resurrection that he does that. Praise be to God. Amen.